October 26, 2023, we're in Masechet Beit four lines before the end of the Amud, four words onto the line. It says the Gemara, Adbere. Adbere explains Rashi means, Hinhigo which means to say, he traveled with him. So, Rav Hasta Rav Hasta traveled and gave a certain tour of sorts of the city to Rabbana Ukba. Why that's a necessary detail? Not 100% certain, but says the Gemara, in the context of their travel and guided tour from Rav Hasta to Rabbana Ukva, the following derasha emerged, vidarash, Lo, well, maybe that was the purpose. Maybe they were going throughout the city to have dirashot to teach different people. Lo adam It's prohibited to be moded to uh, to measure and to determine the amount of seorim of barley that you're giving uh, to your animal on yom tov biyom tov aval. Of course, that would be a problem that we've been addressing over the course of the last several days in the Gemara of Ovadin Dehol, measuring, weighing, scaling, is all weekday activities, inappropriate and wrong to be done on Yom Tov or Shabbat. Aval, but there is a permitted way. Koder hu kav o kavim But what is permitted is to be koder. What does koder mean? Rashi explains. Aval koder who bekav atzmo nokev bakeri umemaleo. The explanation says Rashi is instead of taking it with your hand, the barley, and then placing it into the measuring instrument in order to know how much it is, which would be the normal way, you instead take the measuring instrument, which, uh, which has within it the space for a kav or a kavim, or whatever the measurement exactly is, and you'll take that and into the kiri, into the pile of, uh, of grain, you'll pull it out in such a fashion. It's apparently not the normal way of doing it. This is the Gemara. This is the Gemara that Rashba cited. In, in, in one line from now, it'll emerge that it's not only when you're buying it or getting it from a person, it's even within your own home. It's not only when you're going to a baker or a, um, a butcher, it's in, in your own circumstance as well. This is, this is it. Aval Koderu again says Rashi, and in such a circumstance, the normal way is to put it into your hand and then to fill it into the measuring instrument. Over here, you're taking the measuring instrument and you're digging with it, that would be permitted. hoshesh, and there's nothing to be fearful of. It doesn't look like or appear to be a weekday activity and in turn is permitted. Uh, so again, there's a description of shinui in this context. And if you're dealing with a person who is um, baking, or alternatively here, it appears as if they're cooking, it's permitted for them to measure out the proper amount of tevalin, of spices. Well, why is that more permitted? The reason is so that their tavshil, whatever they're making, the food that's being produced, isn't yakdiyach. Rashi yisrof. Yisrof doesn't mean burn, it means get ruined. In other words, the amount of, uh, of spices that are put in are very significant, and in turn, it's permitted. Would that apply to all people, or is that specifically for an achtom? In other words, is this last line, which is permitting, 
Is it a constricted permissibility? It's only for a person who's making a lot and stands to lose money? Or alternatively, would it be for any woman or any man who's cooking or baking on Shabbat or on Yom Tov specifically? And so that's a mahlokid in the post-scheme. We're not fully certain about this. The Gemara is just giving it as an example, a person who this is their profession, they're a nahtom as opposed to what we call a ba'al habayit. Or is it alternatively applicable to all? In today's day and age, Magen Abraham writes in his commentary to Shulchan Aruch, Again, you'd have to determine whether this is still relevant several hundred years later and no longer in Poland. It says that it's a normal thing that you eyeball it and you just sprinkle in spices and as a result the measuring is not a necessity. Even during the weekday, you shouldn't be doing it on Yom Tov either. Interesting. I hear you. Uh, understood. Well, he's saying, you know, yeah. well, keep in mind, it's not really animal feed. It's se'urim. It's your barley. But I hear you. If you're giving it to your animal, probably is. I hear you. It's certainly when I, you know, when you go to the shuk in Yerushalayim, they scoop it. They don't touch it with their hands, even with gloves. I hear you. I thought the same thing. Says the Gemara, Amarav, Modedet Isha Kemah Beyom Tob, Venotenet Letoch Isata, the halakha says, Rav, is that a woman is allowed to measure the amount of flour on Yom Tov that she's putting into her dough in order to produce bread. And the reason this is permitted, even though you'd imagine it's prohibited, you're not allowed to measure, is the rabbis permitted over here, now we'll define those words in a moment, but I'll remind you, we already referred to Shohan Aruch, who was quoting from the Gemara, the Mishnah in Masechet Shabbat, that b'makom mitzvah, in a circumstance situation where it's necessary to perform a mitzvah, since this whole prohibition at its onset is rabbinic in nature, the rabbi stated and made clear, if you're doing it for the purpose of mitzvah, in order to measure the mikveh, in today's day and age, Hacham Vadya Yosef says, in order to measure the matzah, or the maror, and so forth, it's permitted, right? That's permitted. So already, this isur of ovadin de hall of mishkal and midah, it's not across the board. The rabbis will, in circumstance, find room for leniency as necessary. Over here, it's not per se just for the performance of the mitzvah. It's not a hova to bake bread and to take halah. It's when you bake the bread, you take the halah. But the reference is that once the woman's already baking bread, the Hakamim were interested that she take be'ayin yafa. Ayin yafa refers to a good eye, it means that she be generous. As Rashi points out, there's no measurement from the Torah with regards to how much halah. Again, we're referring to when a person bakes or puts together dough in order to bake bread, that they take from it something and once upon a time give to the Kohen. But Rashi writes, be'ayin yafa shi'ur halah, rabbinically speaking, ehad me kafdalit. That's 120. Fourth, rabbinically speaking, la kohen, to be given to the kohen. And when the woman doesn't know how large, how much dough she actually is putting together, he it. she'll be stingy when she's fully certain how much it is. So then she knows 124th is X amount. If she hasn't measured it beforehand, so she's going to eyeball it and she's going to determine, she's going to then, when having to take out of it, she could very easily delude herself, I put in less than that amount, and in turn give less amount. So the suggestion of the Gemara then, Rav's statement is, the rabbi's interest in 
the woman giving one twenty-fourth, what we refer to as ayin yafa, that's not a mitzvah from the Torah, that measurement, the mitzvah from the Torah is just to give, ayin yafa, in order that she give one twenty-fourth, make certain and allow for her to measure the bread at the onset. Now again, the reason this isn't the same as mitzvah from earlier is that's for the performance of a mitzvah. You need the mikveh to have 40 se'ah. You need the matzah to be kazayit, kabetzah. Over here, you don't need the bread to be X amount. It's once you have that amount of bread, then you take from it. But we are permitting so that she does the mitzvah in the proper way, that she know how much she has. Again, if you're uncertain how much you have, and it's about giving up, you'll be lenient on yourself. You'll say to yourself, it's less than I thought it was, or it's that amount as opposed to the higher amount. If you have a measurement, there's no deluding yourself. You're giving one twenty-fourth. that's his statement. No, but that the chef one is like that in terms of the tivalin. Over here, the ayin yafad you're talking about is about taking ayin yafad. It's not about baking ayin yafad. It's about taking the halab the ayin yafad. If it's a mitzvah. What, what is the measurement of what you're giving away have to do with the measurement of the spices? No, no, not spice. Not over here. We're on we're on flour. The question is how much flour and how much dough has been put together. If she's uncertain, if you're uncertain, so you say to yourself, it's the smaller amount. It might be ten, or might be nine, it might be eight. You measure that afterwards. You're measuring. No, no, no. It goes based on the flour and dough that was put together. That's how you determine it. That's how. That's when you're taking it. What's Right. Hang tight. Hang tight. Uh, good question. Says Charlie, uh, there's no Bet Mikdash, no Kohen today. Well, we still do the mitzvah hafrashat hala, but we do it a little bit differently, specifically in the respect that we don't give one twenty-fourth. Okay, well, we'll deal with it in a moment. Let's get to the other side of the page in Tosafot. Uh, so that's the first statement, that of Rav. Ushmuel Amar, Asur. Shmuel just disagrees. His statement is alternatively, even for Ayin Yafa, there's no permissibility of Mida on Yom Tov. Says the Gemara, but wait a second, did Shimuel really say it's forbidden? Forbidden? Didn't Shimuel, the same Emora, Tana? As Rashi explains, many of the Emoraim used to collect and put together these collections of statements that preceded them. They would take the statements of rabbis from the time of the Mishnah, we call that Tanaim, and they'd put together a collection. You have Beraitot of Rabbi Osha'aya, of Rabbi Hiya. They had collections of what they call Tosefta, not Mishnah, but their own collection. Rabbi Uda Hanasi had the collection of Mishnayot. Shemuel, less known, but he too had a collection. And in his collection of Tosefta, of statements, and rabbinic uh, dictums that preceded him, he had the following, mutar, period. So it's a contradiction in Shemuel. On the one hand, Shemuel said that even for halah, don't allow for the man or the woman to measure how much kemah is going into it. I don't care about ayin yafa for one reason or another. On the other hand, in the beraita that he had, reflecting the views of previous generations, without any mention of conflict or disagreement, he says mutar, like Rav here. Amar Abaye, Abaye in turn explains the circumstance and understands it as follows. 
Now that Shemuel's words on his own, not from his collection, not from his sources that he put together was Asur. And his Beraita that he put together was Mutar. Period. Shemuel's objective, his purpose was to teach us as Rashi at the very bottom of the Amud explains, he was a little bit instructing us how to determine the halakha. Rashi at the bottom, on the left-hand side, Hushana b'mishnato mutar. Okay, so we have Shemuel saying asur in the beraita. We have he himself saying mutar. Shemuel bishma'ate de'amar asur. Shemuel in his teaching from the source says asur. Halakha l'ma'aseh ata When he in the class said asur, he's teaching the people, you and me, we should not be doing so. If you were to come and ask me, or if we were to ask Shemuel, what would he say? Morin lo asur. He'd say asur. That's halakha So then why did he mention mutar at all? What about that beraita? However, if you see a person who's doing it already, what are they doing specifically? They're measuring the amount of flour. We don't tell them to stop. We don't protest their doing. Because after all, fundamentally, this is mutar. Since it's a matter of dispute, since there is an issue of doubt, Shemuel says, asur. But if you see a person doing so, you don't need to correct them. If it's a question that's posed, you tell them asur. If they're already doing, mutar. We find this from time to time in halakha. It's not, as many people might think, a better not to situation. That's not what Shemuel is saying. It's not what Shemuel is saying. Shemuel is saying, I believe that this is Asur. I'm not convinced enough to the extent that I could change the practice of people. Me, myself, not because I have these fears, I believe it's Asur. And from his understanding of the Halakha, from his understanding of the Halakha, the Beraita against him, he admits to. And he says, for that reason I'm not 100%, but in my understanding of this circumstance, I believe Asur. I have a precedence that it's Mutar. I'm not going to contest that. I'm not going to adapt that. I'm not going to follow that myself. But if a person's doing so, it's Mutar for them to continue doing so. Again, it's not per se, at least in my mind, it's not per se that he says, listen, it's really Mutar, but I'm making a Gezira. But no, 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 I think he believes it's Asur. I think his rationale is, I don't like that Sevara. But since there are strong opinions otherwise, I'm going to allow for that. I'm not going to fight this. Like the, the right. That was a halakha in morin. A little bit different, but similar. That's what uh, Nathan reminds us. There were two of the hachmeh talmud that we read about an adaf or so ago, where in terms of sharpening the knife, which is potentially asur on Yom Tov, when they were asked why they're sharpening it, their response was in order to get the fat off. Why were they doing so? See, over there, though, they were doing it themselves. They felt, that was Rashid, they felt if they teach the people, that people will be negligent in the law. They felt that the people will not do it prior to Yom Tov. So over there, they had a fear of slippery slope. To the inside circle, they knew it was mutar. It's a little bit different, but it's again, it's an in-between state. It tells you about the intricacies of halakha more than anything. 
Correct. That's what I mean by saying the intricacies of halakha. I think his position is clear, asur, but at the same time, I'm not going to negate the precedence of hetir to the extent that if you're doing it, continue doing it, but I won't adapt it. You know, I, you find, it's not the greatest example, but Hacham Ovadia Yosef, for example, it's not the greatest example, he himself writes in his books, based on uh, several poskim in Shohan Aruch, says that matzah for Sfaradim throughout the years, the beracha is mizonot. That's what he writes. He himself said hamotzi. Now he always, as per his students or his children, he always made sure he had it together with bread because he was nervous a little bit. So he was misupak. Now it was a legend for a while. I had heard it in the, to, that someone heard it from him in the early 90s. But after his death, it's not written in the books. His sons tell about the fact that his father wrote this, but he practiced a bit differently. So you say it's contradictory. I don't think it's contradictory. I think he was uncertain about this. He knew this precedence to say that you say mizonot. I'm not going to change the custom. It's rare that he doesn't change it. But he didn't change it over here. I'm going to allow for people to continue. Me, myself, I think it's Asur. If you're going to ask me, so to speak, it would seem to me, if you would ask him, not what he wrote following the precedent, he would say, say hamotzi. That's what I believe. So I think it's a similar situation. What's that? Masa throughout the year, not on Pesach. Tosafot. Go ahead. Shmuel, his opinion overrules the rabbis who said it was okay. Shmuel says okay. You're asking, what's the halakha on this? Than the Beraita, so uh, seems somewhat clear that in his opinion he can't rely on that Beraita. That's that's what he does. Again, he won't override it because if someone's doing it, he'll allow for them to do so. Muta, muta. Yeah, so you know you, you you have such an interesting situation over here. The pres now, generally speaking, in terms of emoraim, later generations, we say Rav Tanahu Palik. His counterpart, his opponent, Rav, he disagrees with Beraitota Mishnayot. You won't find Shemuel really doing so. Not really doing so over here. He's not negating them. He's just saying we're not practicing that way. Listen, if he was, if it was the other way, if it was mutar, then we would certainly say so. Over here, he was uncertain about it. It's very possible that he was uncertain. Again, we don't have these details. He's uncertain whether it was a unanimous decision beforehand or not. Now, Tosafot here on the next side on Davkafteta Mutbet, they debate in general whether this is applicable any longer. The Charlie angle on this matter. Well, Tosafot here dibura matchil shemuel halakal maase atal ashminan. They begin, they write, Perush, they're citing from Rashi, or they're saying the same thing, right, we say to them that it's forbidden. But if someone's already doing so, we don't need to prevent them. You know, it's, it's uh, reminiscent for me in, in the moment, not the same thing at all, but reminiscent, similar. You see, when we do parashat bereshit, there's a minhag, that before we do the kiriyah, we say besiman ataba, right? So uh, who says those words? Besiman tov. We do it on Sabahat Torah, we do it pretty much every time we read bereshit. So uh, apparently, it seems clear for many sources, the Syrian custom for many, many, many years was that the Baal Koreh himself said besiman ataba. That was the custom. Um, I, I did notice it, but kept, I did notice here uh, the Somech, the person on the side says it, and not the Baal Koreh. Now, the reason the person on the side might say it is because there's a problem of Hefsek. That's right, it might be a problem of Hefsek. 
there are ways of dealing with hifsik, and that's why the custom always was to say it. So there was one congregant who got very excited about this. So one second, what's going on there, Knees? We're going against the Syrian custom. Syrian custom always was. So he went and he was speaking to myself and my father. So I deferred to my father on this. I said, what did you see? I said, I don't remember ever seeing the Baal Kore himself do it at least in my time. Now, I don't know if that's the case. In the other synagogue that I was part of, uh, the Baal Kore always did it, uh, so, and, and he was from Halab, so maybe there was, was a, but uh, my, my rationale in terms of that practice, in other words, I think very clearly, and when he was pushed, what my father said was, he says, listen, if the Baal Kore himself was doing it here, I wouldn't object. I know that's the Minhag long back, but you're gonna tell me it's wrong for the Somech to do so. If anything, I could find the claim that it is a Hefzik, and maybe he should be. I'm not going to fight them in hand. But it's not always true, Eli. That's what I'm telling you. In other words, if you're certain... No, no, no. What I'm telling you is if you're certain they're doing wrong, Eli, you tell them they're doing wrong. Over here, it's an in-between case. There's a claim for, there's a claim against. If the minhag already is to be doing it, you let them continue. Even if I have a claim and I have a reason why I think if I'm to build it and to do it, I would have done it if I allow for it. Now they're already being awesome. Now they're already having the somech to it. Allow for that to continue. I, I think the Shimuel angles somewhat similar over here as well. If the people are doing it beheter, all right, technically speaking, they have precedence on that. Me, myself, you ask me, I say, okay, anyway, it says the Gemara Baliman, says, what's that? I suppose so. Thank you, Jeffrey. Okay, says Tosafot now, third line, last word, according to this, Shimuel and Rav are not disagreeing because the both Rav and Shimuel, it emerges then, agree that it could be an Ismuta. It's only a question of what you say. Mihu, he continues, Tosafot, in the last of these wide lines, Bahag, is citing from an earlier source, Ba'al halachot gedolot piresh, u'shmuel halachal ma'aseh atala ashmu'inan, u'paliga beraita, u'paliga rav. According to this interpretation, Shemuel is altogether negating the beraita and entirely saying asur. So there's two interpretations as to what happened here in terms of Shemuel. It, is Shemuel, he as a result, the statement is that he's disagreeing with it and he truly holds asur, or alternatively he would say asur, but fundamentally it's mutar. Uh, says, says Tosafot, v'yesh poskin ki Shemuel, some people who go like Shemuel, even though generally speaking, Rav versus Shemuel, you go like Rav in these sorts of circumstances over here. The Gemara's wording seems to suggest we should go like Shemuel. I'm getting to your point in a second, Charlie. Some say, no, we go like Rav, because our principle is we follow Rav in issues of Isur veheter v'kol sheken hacha, and over here you have the support of that beraita of Shemuel for him. Okay, now, so there's a question. Again, there's a question how to understand Shemuel. The question in turn, how to be posek. Now says Tosafot, Ve'omer harav rabbeinu Shemuel me'ayyavara. Says this rabbeinu Shemuel from someplace in northern France. Da'afilu leman da'amar da'halacha kerav. Even according to the opinion that the halacha, the bottom line over here when we finish the sugya is that the halacha is permitting, like rav, 
מכל מקום אסור לנו בזמן הזה למדוד. תראה, it would be nonetheless prohibited. Prohibited, but Rav said מותר. משום ליטול חלה בעין יפה, if the reason is in order to take the right amount, a nice amount, 124th, did דווקא בימיהן, this is specifically true and a reality in their day. שהיו מפרישים חלה אחת מכ"ד ונותנים לכהן. Back in the day when there was a mikdash, when they were taking it and giving it to the kohen, there was a concept of give the kohen a larger amount. The custom in turn has emerged since he's not giving it to the kohen, you're rather just burning it. We take a small amount, even from a large amount, and even that small amount is not even eaten, it's burnt. אין למדוד, דלא שייכה סברה דקאמר הכה כדי שתתול חלה בעין יפה, אלא יש לנו לשער מעומד שתהיה ברווח כשיעור משום הברכה. says תוספות, instead in today's day and age you do a מעומד from approximation with regards to the flower on your top. The heter of משום עין יפה, we're going to permit measuring, wouldn't be applicable. Some of the מפרשים point out, go a step further, even if Today's day and age, we had the Mikdash. So Tosafot is writing from Ayavara, wherever that is in northern France. That's outside of Israel. The halachav halat chutz la'aretz is, there's no shi'ur for it. Taking hafrashat hala outside of Israel, even bizman shebet mikdash kayam, you weren't per se taking 124th. So the argument in turn is that this kula, which is mentioned in our Gemara, for other reasons would end up as a humra, as a stringency. Again, we mentioned this irrespective of that Tosafot as the earlier conversation, which we're referring to earlier, Nathan, does this apply to specifically commercial uh, narrow situations where I'm actually getting it from someone else or even in my own home, the fact that it's a debate here in the Gemara. And the only reason to permit is because, well, for Ayin Yafa makes us believe that the measuring issue would be applicable irrespective of context and situation. It's for that reason that the poskim debate in Shohan Aruch is posek li'isur on this matter, whether you could use an hourglass or not. Now it's not simple exactly which hourglass and in what way, but an hourglass, you're not doing that in order to sell anything. You're not measuring in order to determine an amount that I'm going to transfer. You're measuring to measure time. Now that, the poskim debate, and many are osir. Does that mean in a game when you're playing with it, it would be forbidden? If you're playing games, uh, I'm not much of a game player, but can you do that? No, so that would be permitted. Why would that be permitted? Because you're not measuring time over there. You're just determining how much time you have. You're not measuring it is now three hours. You're measuring you have X amount of time. I don't even know how much time it is. I know it's the hourglass. Does that mean watches are prohibited? No, watches are determining what time it is. They're not measuring anything. And that in turn is the halakha on this matter. But again, the measuring then is very relevant in our own lives and the way to to do it is instead of having a specific and purposeful amount, you a little bit more, a little bit less. Not so hard to do. Can women measure? They can a little bit exactly. more, a little bit less. No. The tivalim we threw out. Correct. I don't know that any poskim are mekil on the tivalim of the chef because Magen Abraham. What's that? The Gemara was so clear about the chef because the claim was that if he puts any less or any more, he'll ruin his thing. If that's really the reality, I imagine we'd be mekil. But I don't think, the way Magen Abraham writes in 
Again, you're right. I don't know anything about this, but my assumption is that he's got it right, that you pretty much got it by shaking a little bit in or shaking more in, and the specific and particular exact amount is less significant than it appears from over here, if it is. Yeah, so then it would be mutai. So that's exactly what Jeffrey was just asking. So again, if you add a little bit more, it's going to ruin it. If it is, that's the Tivalin and the Gemara. Alternatively, a little bit more, to the best of my non-knowledge, is not really going to ruin it. Same thing, all of this. Yeah, now on Shabbat, you're not, you're not measuring for food, obviously, you know, for production of food. Medicine is for, if it's for pikuach nefesh reasons, you'd be permitted to do so. All right. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's, I'm going to stay out of that one. Uh, it says the Gemara, Tanur Rabbanan, the, the Gemara now presents for us a Beraita. And the Beraita brings us in a different direction. And uh, for all intents and purposes, we're done with measuring. We're going to instead talk about sifting. In Shonin Kemah Beyom Tob. Now, Shonin Milashon Shenayim. You can't do a second sifting, even a second sifting on Yom Tob. Rashi, Shonin. Uh, what would you be sifting? Your flour, of course. We were talking about flour. We continue. Deleka tircha. Now, excuse me, the first one. En shonim kemach, sherikedo me'etmo. You already winnowed, you already sifted it yesterday. Ubale shanoto benapa leafoto. And now on Yom Tob, you're doing a second sifting. It seems we're taking for granted the first sifting would be prohibited. But you're doing a second sifting on Yom Tob. En shonim. You still can't do so. Rashi's rationale is because you could have done it yesterday. Why can't you do sifting in the first place? The general understanding is we only permit from the time of the kneading the dough and onward. Prior activities are not permitted in terms, we don't see that as for the consumption or for the production of the food per se in the direct fashion. Over here, however, it was already sifted. So maybe it should be permitted. Says Rashi, and Ran's reading of Rashi is rabbinically, it's still prohibited. Since you could have done it beforehand, you're doing it now, it's unnecessary, extra labor, can't do so. Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim, alternatively suggests this is an Isur from the Torah, not just rabbinically. Why so? Because even a second sifting is going to take too much time, it's going to be laborious. The Torah would have forbade that, even though it was already sifted, is his claim. All right, the first opinion here again, Tanura Banana Beraita, En Shonim Kemah Yom Tob, for one of two reasons, could have done it yesterday, or it's just... Too laborious. Mishum rabbi papayas verbiuda bemetera ameru shonin. They permit doing so. Why would you permit? Rashi delekatir ha. It's not very laborious. It's not very strenuous. V'davar hanir ahu. And furthermore, it's it's visible. It's discernible. Shezohi pa'am sheniyah. Everybody looks at it and says, "You're not doing crazy work. This is not milacha." Second time, venzeb kemeraked livror. Uh, that's not like the initial sifting in order to separate. That would be permitted. Uh, it says the Gemara, Vishavin, but both the permitting and the forbidding opinion agree. If a rock or a twig fell into the, um, the, the flower, then you're allowed to do a second sifting. Why in such a circumstance would that in turn be permitted? I assume the reason is because it's clear I'm not doing a real sifting over here. My sifting was done. There's just a piece, a clump in it. What's that? Interesting, great point, says Eli, and furthermore, and think about that, and it's not, and furthermore, happened on Yom Tov, because uh, it says over here, Shimna Falletocho, forbidden. 
forbidden. It's melechet borer. First sifting would be prohibited, certainly on Shabbat, even on Yom Tov. It's melechet borer. So, so the, the situation over there, the way Shohan Aruch goes on this in Siman Shin Yod Chet, is the same thing with water as well. The question is, would you drink the wine without sifting it, without putting it through whatever that thing is? If you would, puree, if you would, so then you're doing it only for further refining it. It's not laborious, it's not a problem at all, and then it would be permitted. If alternatively you wouldn't, so that's where it would be a problem of Borer. If it's Mamash Borer. If it's mamash borer, then you can't do it. If it's not mamash borer, so then what's the issue, right? In other words, if you're doing it, uh, and you would have dr- you would have drunk it in such a fashion anyway. What's it? I'd imagine. I imagine that would be asur on Shabbat or Yom Tov. It says the Gemara. What does mamash borer mean? It is really separating. Mamash means really. Borer is a melacha. It's one of the 39 prohibited things. You're not allowed to separate bad from good on Shabbat or Yom Tov. It says the Gemara, an alternative version of this, Tanek Tana Kamede Ravina. There was an individual who taught the following Biraita in front of Ravina. And it said, En Shonim Kemah Biyom Tov. Okay, that was the prohibiting opinion, right? We saw just a moment ago in the Biraita prohibiting and a permitting. Aval, Nafal Seroro Kesam Borer Biado. But then at the end of that Biraita, it saw. If the, the stone or twig fell in, you can take it out with your hand. Take it out with your hand, Morris, and seemingly not with a keli. Regardless, said Ravina, wait a second, why is that permitted? Says, I don't understand. You're telling me I'm not allowed to do a second sifting. Why not? Because it appears wrong. Someone might say he's really sifting. He hadn't sifted beforehand. You tell me if a rock fell in and you're pulling it out with your hand, that's more permitted? The argument of Ravina is that's more keborer, and as a result, would certainly be asur. Lastly, says the Gemara, Darash Rava Baravuna Zuteh, Apitadin Hardea, Rava Baravuna the small one, taught at Pithadin Harda'an. Harda'an was the name of a city, a town in Bavel. At the entrance to it, he got up and he taught the following. It sounds like to all the inhabitants. Shonin kemah biyom tov. He was permitting. He said, you're allowed to do the second sifting. Amalehu Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman said, that's what the rabbi said. Poku v'imrule le'abba. Go and tell. He calls his friend, says Rashi, Abba. He's not the father. It's his, father. It's his friend. Who's his friend? Rav Abba Ravuna, who made that derasha that it's Per minute, Shakilu Tibutach Veshadeh Hizre. Take his goodness and throw it on the thorns. He thought he was doing us a favor. He's making an announcement. You're allowed to do the second sifting? We didn't need that. What do you mean you didn't need it? It's a beautiful kulah. Pok Hazeh Kama Meholata Hadran Benahdea. Go out and look and see how many sifting devices are going around in the Hadea, meaning. We already knew this was permitted. He came and it was as if he discovered America. I have a beautiful permissibility. I'm going to make your lives easy. My permissibility is that it's mutar leshanot shonin kemach biyom tov. What do you mean his statement was? We're already doing that. We have that already. Go and look at how many sifters we go, have going around. You thought that you came out. You looked like the hero. We were already practicing as such. And as a result, what's that? I don't know. I guess he's saying he thinks he's the hero. He's not so. Baruch Adonai Amen. Amen. Amen.